This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 177, Staycation. I'm Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in this week. Can you get away from it all without going anywhere? Tracy and I decided to give it a try this summer. We did some research on area restaurants, ordered a big batch of new board games, and settled in for two days of rest and relaxation. Long story short, I recommend it. In this somewhat different episode, we will discuss the sermon I put together on half a week's work, the book I was saving for later, but seems to fit here, the faith I place in online reviews and whether that faith is warranted, and the hour-long trip to New Jersey that happened in the middle of it all. We'll start with what I've been preaching. The problem with taking half a week off, at least the way I take half a week off, is that the same amount of work needs to get done one way or the other, whether it's in three days or six days. So for practical purposes, if I was going to take Thursday, Friday, and essentially Saturday off, I was going to have to work double time on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I was scheduled to work on a sermon based on Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. And isn't it funny how you read a verse a hundred times, and then that hundred and first time you read it, you see something you've never seen before. The text says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, the dozen or so sermons that I've preached from this text in times past, more or less focused on the power that we have to influence the world that is around us. Salt is valuable. Just because it's cheap now doesn't make any less so. In fact, our word salary comes from the Latin word for salt. Soldiers used to get paid in salt. Salt provides a flavoring element that makes bland things more interesting. And, of course, there is the preserving aspect of salt, which is probably the most important point. In a world without refrigeration, it was difficult to keep perishable food from perishing. Salt assisted in that. All of these applications that I had been making over the years with regard to salt focused on the way salt impacts the food that we eat. But if that was Jesus' main point, why didn't Jesus say you were the salt of the food? He didn't say that, though. He said, you're the salt of the earth. And maybe it's a subtle point. Maybe I'm making too much of it. But it seems to me that when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's not talking so much about what we do, but rather talking about what we are. The earth, or the world, in the Bible, is, generally speaking, a really bad place, an ugly place, a sinful place. But in that world, in that earth, there is salt. There is something good. There's something valuable. There's something precious. Jesus knows that we, as people who regard him, who regard the things of God, are the most valuable thing there is in the world. We show what it means to live a purposeful life, a meaningful life. We're able to preserve ourselves and preserve others. That's who we are as the people of God. 
We're not suggesting that bad people don't occasionally do good things, or there isn't a little bit of good in all of us, because I believe there is. But if I want to preserve my saltiness, if I want to stay the kind of person that God has made me into, I need to spend quality time with my brothers and sisters in Christ. This will keep me from yielding to my surroundings. Salt doesn't literally become less salty. But if it gets mixed up with earthly elements, it might as well not exist at all. We need to be connected to the people of God. And it actually kind of fits in with the theme of the staycation. If I'm going to separate from most of the world, because obviously you can't separate from all of it, wouldn't it make sense that the parts of it that I keep near to myself be the best parts? That's not what a vacation is. That's what Sunday morning is. That's what gathering with the saints is. Getting away from the world, finding a safe place where we are surrounded by people that we love, who love us, people who remind us what we are in the world. And what we are is salt. We are different. We are special. And we need to make sure that we stay that way. This is what I've been reading. They say you're supposed to read when you're on vacation. Take a book with you. Well, I didn't go anywhere, of course, and I'm always reading. And I was really kind of saving 42 Faith for a different podcast. But the more I started thinking about it, the more I thought maybe the book that I was actually reading on my staycation fits with the theme after all. 42 Faith by Ed Henry is the story of Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey, and especially the way that the two men leaned on their faith during an extraordinarily tempestuous time in their lives and in the life of our nation. If those names don't mean anything to you, you're probably not a baseball fan. Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball, playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers, In 1947, Branch Rickey was the general manager of the Dodgers at the time. He was the one responsible for making it happen. There was a great deal of opposition, as you would expect, if you know anything about the civil rights movement, if you know anything about the nation in the 40s and 50s and 60s, you know that this would not go over very well in certain quarters. I was really struck by the fact that when Rickey and Robinson got together, one of the first things Mr. Rickey asked was, do you have a girl? Jackie Robinson said, yes, I do. Mr. Ricky said, marry her. Marry her right away. And it wasn't just a matter of having somebody by his side in these difficult times. Come to find out that Branch Ricky was a big fan of marriage in general, and especially for ball players. The culture among athletes was more or less the same, I suppose, back then as it is now. It's very easy for people on the road to get in trouble. And having a stabilizing influence, having a wife in these moments, helps keep a ball player on track. That was Mr. Ricky's philosophy, at least. And he knew that it was especially important for Jackie Robinson. If Jackie was going to be successful, and it was critically important that this happen right the first time, they just could not afford to fail. Who knows how far back the cause for people of color would be set if 
Robinson was a failure. Ricky had to absolutely set Jackie Robinson up for success. And part of that did not happen on the baseball field or in the dugout. Part of it happened at home. It's always been the case, of course, that it was not good that man should be alone. God told us that in Genesis 2 verse 18, before there was a woman. It's been true ever since, for women and for men. But I can speak from a male perspective. It might be a little bit more important for the men. It's critical that we have people in our lives, and the closer the better, who have the same objectives as we do. Someone who can be, as Genesis 2 verse 24 says, one flesh with us. Not just in the sexual sense or social sense, but in every sense. When you get the one, you get the other. Having Rachel Robinson by his side made Jackie Robinson a better man. There's no question about that. He said so in so many words any number of times. I count it a blessing that men and women have the privilege, the opportunity of marriage. Our staycation coincided with our 29th anniversary. Tracy and I were married July 31st, 1993. And she doesn't like me talking about her on the podcast, so I'm not going to anymore, and I absolutely have to. But I will use my experience with marriage as an example of how connection in marriage helps us through life, especially for Christians. When we share everything, and especially when we share faith, we were able to go out into a cruel, hostile world that many times looks like it is determined to destroy us, and sometimes it does. But we can enter into these circumstances with peace, with joy, with confidence, because first of all, God is with us, and secondly, and closely behind that, because our spouse is with us, and our spouse helps us stay on track, helps us keep our eye on the ball, to use an image from baseball. It's one of the greatest blessings he gives us in this life. We should be grateful, we should take advantage of it, and we should grow it and nurture it. So it will be there for us and strong for us when we need it in troubled times. This is what I've been hearing. So the one thing that we were going to go out for during our staycation was going to be food. Austin, Texas, as you may know, is kind of a foodie place. And not having lived here in the Austin area for the last 35 to 40 years, I don't know any of these places. And so it's a good opportunity for us to look around, do some research, and find a place or two that really grabbed our interest. And we wound up only going to one place, one that I'd had my eye on for quite some time, one that I saw on YouTube, one that wasn't too far away. It was actually just down the road in Round Rock. And it wasn't a barbecue place. It wasn't a Mexican food place like you would expect in Austin. It was a pasta house. And there's something about YouTube. There's something about visuals There's something about being able to see the look on people's face when they eat that just makes food irresistible. This one particular YouTube channel that had focused on this restaurant had grabbed my attention. His picture was up on the wall in the restaurant, as you would expect. Nobody else's picture was up there, though. 
I found that a little bit interesting. Maybe this place isn't quite as famous as I had been led to believe. So we went in and we got seated and we got our food and it was good. It was very good. It wasn't the life-changing experience that I think I had built up in my mind though. And it made me think a little bit about the way I look at restaurant reviews and the ones who are writing the restaurant reviews. The best way to find restaurants, as far as I'm concerned, and I think you probably agree with me, is by talking to people that you know, talking to the people that you respect, people who have similar tastes to your tastes. I don't know this guy. He's from Round Rock, Texas, apparently. As far as I know, he could be the brother-in-law, the owner of the restaurant. I've never taken any of his other recommendations. I'm assuming since he is on the internet, he knows what he's talking about. And in hindsight, that's kind of a silly assumption to make. Just because strangers approve of something, that does not necessarily mean that I will approve of it. It made me think a little bit about Acts chapter 19 and the city of Ephesus and Paul's participation there and his engagement with the temple of Artemis or Diana that Ephesus was world famous for. People come from all over the world, said Paul's opponents, to come to this place. And Paul is making Artemis seem less important. He's making the temple seem less important. He's making the silver shrines that I make in cooperation with the temple seem less important. We need to drive this fellow out of town. It's kind of interesting in the context of what Peter teaches in 1 Peter about the temple that we are building to the Lord that was being built in Ephesus. A very different kind of temple. A temple that does not receive world acclaim. A temple that is ignored or even defiled by the people of the world. And yet a temple that we are called to honor, to adore, to participate in, to be a part of. The temple of God built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, who as the stone of prophecy calls us as living stones to be a partaker in spiritual worship that is far greater, far more impactful than anything that ever happened in the temple of Artemis. Christians are always going to lose the publicity war. But just because people in the world approve or disapprove of something, that does not necessarily mean that we should agree. Well, how do we know when the world is wrong? How do we know when the world's judgment should be discarded? Well, obviously, we need to know what God's values are and adhere to those values. There is a very real sense in which we choose a lifestyle, a pursuit in this world that is puzzling, troubling, bothersome to the people out there in the world, and such is always going to be the case. And the sooner we clue into that, the sooner we accept that, the better off we're going to be. After having talked about this temple that we're building in chapter 2 of First Peter, he goes on in chapter 4 in verse 1 to write, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised 
that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. They don't understand why you won't join them in these things. And when you don't, you are lessened in their eyes. They will mock. They will ridicule. They will persecute. You know this as well as I do. What we need to do is value God's principles. We continue to look to God for direction. There is no aspect of our life where God's word does not apply. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The text says in Psalm 119 verse 105, every step that we take is informed by the will of God, by the word of God, by our relationship with God. The more we value that, the more we value his reviews of what's going on in the world, the less inclined we're going to be to swallow the lies of the world hook, line, and sinker and wind up in a place that we don't want to be, partaking of elements that we don't want to partake of. God has a tremendous meal ready for us. Don't spoil your appetite with the things of the world. This is what I've been playing. If you are from the great state of New Jersey, please don't take offense at what I'm about to say. But if Tracy and I had 25 vacations for the next 25 years, and we went to 25 scenic spots in the United States, Cape May, New Jersey would not make the cut. Partly it's because it's all the way off in New Jersey and we got plenty of beautiful spots much closer to home. And part of it is I'm just not a big beach guy in the first place. But eight years living in Pensacola, Florida, reinforced in my mind the value of beach time. Many times we would go and find a restaurant, a sitting place, and just look out over the bay, watch the seagulls, watch the boats float by, maybe a couple of dolphins even, smelling the salt breeze come off the water. It is a very tranquil, calming experience, or at least it can be, maybe not so much in hurricane season. And I say all that to say that for the last year to year and a half or so, I have been aware of a game called Cape May that I absolutely wanted to have, that I absolutely wanted to play. It was a little on the pricey side. Tracy wasn't really enthusiastic about it. So we put it off and put it off. But it's such a beautiful box. I am a sucker for box art. If you follow me in this space, you know what I'm talking about. It's got the nice seascape, beautiful sky and lighthouse and people wearing period clothing. I want to be there. I want to play that game. And so when we were finally in the mood to buy a bunch of new games, take it for a spin during our staycation, I talked myself into getting Kate May. I had my fingers crossed the whole time. Don't let this be a disaster. Let this be a good game. What a relief. Cape May is wonderful. And although I didn't really plan it this way, playing Cape May is kind of what the staycation was all about. Finding a place to relax, finding a place to unwind, 
even though there's a lot of activity, of course, going on in the game, the aesthetics of it are real, very vacation-y. I'm not a big fan of taking vacation from life, certainly not a fan of taking a vacation from our life in Christ. But there is something to be said for taking a moment to breathe, taking a moment to relax, to energize ourselves, to reinvigorate ourselves for the work that still remains. Paul touches on this a little bit in the context of worry in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Going through verse 9. There's value in putting yourself in a headspace that is positive, that is relaxing, that gets away from the ugliness of the world. We're not denying the ugliness of the world, and we're not suggesting that taking a breather is going to change the world or make it less taxing, less ugly. But that doesn't mean that we can't appreciate the beauty that is available to us in this life. We can rest. We can relax. We still keep working. And there's a lot of work going on in Cape May, by the way, building up real estate, creating businesses, etc. But there's still time to look at the birds and build up a collection of the different kind of birds that you've seen. I'm trying to take that lesson out of my staycation here to remind myself I don't have to take two or three days to do it, but it's good to take a few hours once in a while. Watching birds is a good thing to do, by the way. The Bible talks a lot about birds. There are lessons that we can learn from ostriches, from sparrows, from eagles. God gave us these things for a reason, and it wasn't just so that we'll have pretty things to look at. It's so that we can appreciate what life is here in this world, how God takes care of us, how God challenges us, how we can soar with him, how we can rise above the ugliness of this world. And while we are relaxing, we invigorate ourselves for the work that remains. Hebrews chapter 4 compares it to Joshua and the people crossing over into the promised land, crossing the river Jordan. But once they get there, they go to work. If Joshua had given them rest, he says in verse 8, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, the rest after this life is over so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. So yes, take joy where you find it. Take pleasure where you find it. Take a certain measure of peace, obviously. But don't forget about the real staycation that's coming for us. And the bliss and the joy and the peace that will surround us will dwarf anything that we might be able to find for ourselves here on this earth. That's what we're looking for. That's where we're going. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.